Hello and welcome to another edition of the LBV podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan, and today I'm joined by BT Sports and Premier Sports commentator, Rory Hamilton. Rory, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very well. Thank you for uh, having me on, Logan. We've had a few few goes at getting to this stage, but we're, we're here eventually, so it's good good to be on. Get right into it then. Um, what's your first memories of watching and playing sport growing up? Oh, I mean, my first memories go go right back to you know the first the first things I can I can remember doing really. Uh, always loved football. Um, probably, I mean, my 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 dad wasn't really into into football. He's a bit more of a rugby guy. Um, so it probably wasn't until I was at school I would say that you know you start interacting with people uh, with, with your mates and, and they're into football so you get into football and that, that's how you start playing it um first real memories of any you know watching it or anything like that got to really be the 1990 world cup uh i would have been six so how much i was actually aware of it i'm not too sure um I do remember. I remember watching it, but probably '92 is really the first one that I was like really into. You know, I was by then, so I'd have been eight, so I was I was probably just starting playing like boys' club football and things like that. So, you, I mean, you're living and breathing football every day by that stage. So, yeah, I would say '92 is probably the first one that I was so into that you know you, you couldn't you couldn't miss any of it. Was getting into a career in sport always an aspiration of yours? I I wouldn't say so. Um, I kind of left school uh, not having thought of of getting into sport. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I left school, and I I went away to Guyana uh, as a teacher with Project Trust, who are a gap year organisation, uh, and I taught English and science and. I mean, I took them for, for sport as well. They didn't have sport built into the curriculum, but I, I just sort of did it anyway. Um, so that was that was brilliant. But I, I left without having sorted my place at uni for the next year. Uh, and I, I think probably this, when I was at school, everything was very much uh, a drive towards academics. Uh, and... You know, if, if you were if you were half good, then you were expected to, you know, be looking at medicine or law or anything like that. And I didn't fancy any of that. And and I think the more and more it sort of dawns on you, particularly once you're um, you actually you actually find what you what you like doing is is that you need to you need to follow what your passions are. I, I see it with so many friends that they're they're in careers. That really, I mean, they're they're working Monday to Friday so that they can enjoy their weekend off, uh, and and to me, that's not something that I'm willing to do. Uh, and and so when it, it became an opportunity to get into uh, sport and TV and broadcasting, then then I really jumped at it. It, it probably it was probably a bit of a relief. I did sports science at university and. You know that's much more of obviously the sort of scientific background behind sport, yeah. and you know I wonder if you know if I'd gone down that route, I don't think I'd have been as fulfilled as as I am now. Right. Um, how did your pathway into sports commentary begin? 
So the the very first one that I did was in my first job at um, at Scott Sport at STV, uh, and they just sort of gave me give me a wee trial on the mic. It was at Easter Road, and there was a guy sent off before he was a sub, and he got sent off, and it was all very confusing. Um, but uh, yeah, then I went down to Satanta, and that was really the sort of learning curve into more live sport. I mean, they were covering, they had a contract for 60 live games a season. Um, and that was really good, just getting on site. And I, I was I was like cutting up the replays that they were putting out live on air and things like that. It got you into the environment for what a live broadcast is like. Um, and it was when I was down there that that's when you realize that being a commentator is actually a job. And if you put yourself in the right places, then it can become attainable. Sadly, Satanta um, went bust, and yeah. uh, and that put us all, you know, on the hunt for jobs. Uh, and thankfully, you know, a lot of the good people stayed in the industry. Uh, so I managed to. I had a few contacts uh, at Sky Sports, and they gave me a ring up. But I, I just went in and, and doing doing fairly basic things, but. You're in, a, you're in a place where they can trust you because they know you've got a lot of experience in TV. So I, I essentially went in as an assistant producer, um, but then I just sort of slowly, you know, elbowed my way into what I wanted to do. So they gave me opportunities as a reporter. I got a few gigs on uh, Soccer Saturday and things like that. Uh, and then, and then, I was building up some commentary experience, uh, doing more highlights and things like that. But eventually uh, I hung about for long enough and kept asking the question enough times that um, that Sky sort of gave me gave me a bit of a break and and gave me an opportunity. They were they were looking for somebody else, um, particularly during cup weekends um, when they would do double headers. So they'd have, you know, a game at 12 o'clock and then a game at two o'clock and they do the broadcast around that. So they needed a second guy to, to Ian Crocker. Um, so that, that gave them somebody on the ground that, that knew Scottish football well, rather than bringing up somebody from, from England to do it. So, so that, that was, you know, a great opportunity for me. So as soon as you started to commentate regularly, was it, was it clear that it was something you wanted to pursue as a career? I think so. Yeah. It was it was a case of getting enough chances, um, and there's a, there's a few guys that I, uh, I sort of I wouldn't say mentor, but I'm good mates with a few of the the younger commentators now, and and there's so many more um, outlets for for broadcasting, so I'm I'm almost quite envious of of the opportunities that come their way, and uh, it wasn't quite so straightforward. Um, for me but um yeah I, th I think i always knew once once i got a taste of it i think i knew you know once you, once you give up on your dreams that the the scout isn't going to come down to the local park and spot you banging one in the top corner against your mates uh <laughs> you I, I always say this that you, you utilize or you find what your skill set is and that gets you to whatever position in your profession. So, you know, we all wanted it to have a left foot that can curl one into the top bin every time, but you know, your, your skills lie elsewhere. And, and if those skills can get you 
as close to the action as that, then you're playing your part, essentially. You know, you're not on the field, but but you're you're a part of something behind the, the big dream that is being being in football, which, uh, you know, we all grew up with that. That's exactly the same with me. As soon as I realised that I wasn't good enough to become a professional, I'd always wanted to work in sport. So this is why I've started this. So, yeah, so that's, that's good advice, actually, because I realised that I wasn't good enough and then now I always want to be involved in sport, so... Yeah. yeah, and hang, hang on to that because, uh, like I say, when, when I talk about friends and the financial sector and things like that, and that's like, I couldn't sit behind a desk, you know, Monday to Friday. It, it, it's so different that the, the positions that you can get yourself into uh, within sport, there are, there are some great areas that, you know, you might, you might end up enjoying more than, than being the one out there kicking the ball. So the more predominant sports that you've commented on are football and rugby, but is there any other big sporting events over the years that you've really involved or really liked working on? Mm, that's a good question. I've done, I've done quite a lot of golf, um, which I, I mean, I, I like golf. I like all sports, to be honest, but um, I, quite, I quite like following golf. I did quite a lot on the Challenge Tour, uh, which was really good fun because it's, it's just quite a different event. But... Um, I did some work on the Ryder Cup when it was at Glen Eagles. Uh, that was that was pretty good. Um, I did some I did some cricket when there was um, there was like a World Cup qualifier tournament that was over over in Edinburgh. Um, Trying to think if there's anything outside of of that. The, the the summer that I joined BT Sport, I was actually lined up to do uh, the World Games which I think was going to be in, or we were going to commentate from Madrid, but it was it was maybe in Poland, I think. And some of the things that they had me lined up to commentate on, I was like, whoa, and it was like water skiing and, and things like that. I was like, I really, I'm going to need to do a lot of research. So it was with a bit of relief, but um, it would have been good fun. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Uh, and, I, you know, I'd love to do something like an Olympics. Um, just to really test yourself. Uh, like I say, I, I enjoy a lot of sports, um, but to put yourself in the position where you're the one talking about it and you've got to remember that a high proportion of people listening to uh, niche sports, maybe, um, they really know what they're talking about and they know that you don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. I did, I did some boxing for STV uh, a few years ago and that was the moment, like I enjoyed it and I felt like I, I thought I probably knew enough about boxing to get away with it. And then when I was on the mic, I went, I, I don't think I know enough here. I, I think I'm a little bit out of my depth. So as for the preparation for our football game, how long does researching for a football game usually take and what methods do you use to research? Yeah, I, I mean, I probably spend like a day and a half beforehand of actual just taking down notes. Uh, I do little cards. In fact, I've got some in front of me. That um, who have we got here? Joe Newell. You know, I just I do little cards for every player, um, every player in the squad. So I mean, this is this is the current pile from the end of last season. <laughs> 
I bet that, I mean that's probably just that that was probably just like the cup final and a few others. Um so I do that for every single player and then I start writing down all my stats on the game. It's very, very staty. You you probably I don't know, you you maybe use ten percent of it. Um but if you can if you can get a gem in at the right time, then you know that's what all that's there for. But I think I think the the prep is just it's an ongoing thing. It's like it's every day. It doesn't feel like work because your your interest is is the subject. So you're across everything. I mean, the, the first websites that I check every morning are are football related ones. See what's going on. My Twitter feed is just entirely full of of football and rugby things. So that that's not me at work, but it's helpful for work. That that's because I'm that's what I'm interested in. Um, so essentially, the prep is just an ongoing thing. You're you're very I'm very rarely switched off from it because even when I'm on holiday, I want to know who's signing who and and what's going on in in Scottish football. So it goes it goes on like that. But the actual putting down things on paper uh, that takes maybe a day and a half but that side of things probably takes longer than it should what I probably try to concentrate a little bit more on as I approach the game maybe from the morning onwards for an evening game say uh, is getting myself in the headspace of what that game means and sometimes that'll even be when you get to the stadium and you can just sit and you can maybe take an hour to yourself and just compose exactly exactly what you you think the consequences of that game is, uh, exactly what's going through supporters' minds, managers' minds for for what this game counts for, and that's that's why I, I really enjoy that. Even if, even if you've got fans coming into the stadium around you, you can you can just get a feel for for what a game means. Would you say researching for a Scottish league game is easier than a European game because you know more about the league or do you say it's around about the same? Uh, in in those terms it's easier because you you know the players um, you've probably I've probably written Joe Newell's cards I don't know how many times I did hints but let's say like maybe about 15 times this yeah. season so you almost get bored of writing the same things so you but it's easier because you you recognise how a player moves, you know what they look like, um, you know everything about them really. So you almost don't need the cards; they're just there as a bit of reassurance. For European games, it's a little bit harder. But I, oh, in fact, sorry, going back to the Scottish ones, the difficulty is is finding something new and interesting because it's all been said or you've said it. Um, for the European ones, I really like that research being a little bit geeky behind it uh, I love I spend hours on YouTube like finding out how you know if it's a, let's say it's a Albanian team and like going to Albanian TV to find out how you pronounce <laughs> the names and I actually really enjoy the sort of linguistics of of that of working out because then I always <laughs> it's always like when we're on holiday somewhere and and you know we'll be going into a town and you know my my girlfriend will say, "Oh, it's oh, we're going to this place," and I'm like, "I'll recognise a wee thing on one of the letters," and I'm like, "I know there's a player that's got that." And I, yes, it's actually pronounced this way, sort of thing. 
Uh, so and I like that because it's fresh. You know, you, you're you're then you you might not follow like the Czech league, but then you're like, okay, for if I'm doing Slavia Prague against Rangers or doing Sparta against Celtic, uh, you then go really in depth that week into what's happening in the Czech league, what are the main stories, things like that. So it gives you maybe more knowledge that you wouldn't naturally have because I'm not checking it. When I'm checking websites in the morning, I'm not checking what's happening in the Czech league. One rule that you just said is for a commentator is to get every player's name pronounced correctly. Has there ever been a player from a game that you've covered where you've just struggled to pronounce the name totally? Uh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Uh, I struggled with the Slavia Prague manager actually, and I practiced it like all week. <laughs> and, and even I think it was at the full time whistle, and I said something about his team going forward. I can't remember his name now. Um, and it didn't come out right, and I was like, "Oh, practice that so hard." But I remember, uh, I remember um, doing a Glasgow Warriors game, and there were two guys uh, making their debut, and I spent I spent the whole week just like practicing it because I and and then they the two of them came on as subs at the same time. I was doing the stadium announcing at Scotston. And so I was like, well, I, I, I can get them individually. And then I saw them both appear. So the num- they were like numbers 19 and 20. And I went, oh, no, they're both coming on at the same time. So you have to go, right, coming off as like, you know, um, Rob Harley and Ryan Wilson. So he, I mean, that's no problem. Yeah. And coming on. And it was... Um, <laughs> Sianuka, Halanuka, Nuka. And Langi, Langi, Happy Akui. I was just like, oh, there's a Brian Alainuese as well. But when it was spelled, it looked nothing like that. <laughs> so some of some of the rugby boys are are really difficult. You get some of the South Sea Islanders yeah. that have just got. I mean, they've got names that are the length of of the alphabet. <laughs> so as you said, you've been working for the past few years with BT Sport and Premier Sports. What was it like working in a broadcast team with the likes of Chris Sutton, Ali McCoy, and Stephen Craigan? Really good. I mean, I, I get on so well with all those guys. It is, you know, you develop friendships with them. They're they're really easy to to go in and and just accept you. I mean, from the first day, I mean, I would say you're probably a little bit nervous, mainly with Chris. I would say going going to meet him because you know he's a sort of more intimidating character. Uh, but he was great, great with me from from day one, and I've been lucky to travel around uh, Europe with Chris because, you know, for mainly Celtic that I've covered with him. Um, and I mean, Ali is just, Ali's what you see on on air. He's exactly the same. I, I drove him down from Pataudry, uh one day and I was sort of thinking, oh, like I now feel pressured that I need to entertain Ali McCoyce for three hours. And honestly, I mean, it, he didn't stop talking the whole way. It was fantastic. And just opening up with stories and um, yeah. And, and Stephen as well. And, and I've, I've done Ross County with Stephen this season, um, which has been great. And we've been doing Scottish football extra where the two of us just go out with all my cameras and, and we, we talk about we preview the games, but we're just doing like mountain biking or paddle boarding so that's always my my sort of 
remit is to come up with something interesting for us to go and film and that's been really good fun and uh, so so we've sort of you know, built up a, a really good friendship with that and good mates with Michael Stewart as well he's, he's right into his outdoors so you know we get into the hills and things together so it, it's it's a great group, but it, it goes beyond beyond just what you see uh, on screen. Uh, Daryl Curry, I've known for for years and years, but um, certainly the and I would say particularly at BT Sport that that togetherness is it is really really strong. Um, it was a really good group. Grant Phillips put put together the team, and it, it goes to uh, the producers, the assistant producers, the camera crew, it's just, it's a really good atmosphere to work in. As you've said, you commented all over the UK and in several places across Europe. What has been your favourite grounds or grounds to commentate in? A good question. Um, to commentate in. I mean, because... I love the Scot. I mean, there's so many Scottish grounds. If I was to pick a Scottish ground, one of my favourites, I think, for some reason, I always like Air United, Somerset Park. And for some reason, that's one that I, I kind of like the traditional ones. If there's a bit of terracing in there, that always that always makes me quite happy. I've got no affiliation to Ayrshire or, or Air United, but I always quite like their ground. Um Further afield for something a bit more interesting. It was, it was pretty cool doing um, Zenit against Celtic, um, and they just built that stadium for the World Cup. Yeah. And I think at the time it was the most expensive stadium, football stadium, in Europe. It spent a billion US dollars on it. So that was something else. The only disappointment of that was that. Uh, their ultras were on a ban, right. so so the, I mean the atmosphere was good, but it wasn't it wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, Leipzig Stadium was cool. I really like that. It's built it's built right inside the old stadium, so you've got this sort of old amphitheater all the way around the outside of the stadium, and then another one built right inside it, a modern one. Uh, so that was that was quite a cool one. Um, I mean, I've been to so many, so many as a fan uh, as well. And one of the best ones that I've been to recently was a rugby game. I went out to the World Cup in Japan and uh, Scotland lost to Japan in Yokohama. And the atmosphere there was unbelievable. That, that's one of the things that I love about traveling with football, whether you're working or you're there as a punter, um, is hearing the, the different noises that different sets groups of support, supporters produce and yeah that night in Yokohama was a, a noise I had never heard before this is probably a bit of a tricky one for you but what is there any of your favourite matches that you've commentated on that have that comes to mind when you think of games that you've covered yeah I mean I think I think I, it's always European games that stick out for me uh, there's something, and players talk about it as well. There's something about night times, nighttime games. They, Crags and and Chris and Ali would always talk about it. It would bring out something else in them, and the atmosphere is different. It's louder. You've got the bright lights in your eyes. It's just, it's the same as going going as a fan. There's there's a different feeling 
when it's a nighttime game. Um, so I think for that reason, uh, European games stick out for me. It also allows me to dodge any domestic allegiance question. <laughs> um, uh, so the big ones that I've done, um, Celtics, Celtics wins home and away against Lazio. I think, I think the away one was something special. The first time that Celtic had won on, on Italian soil and the way that they did it uh, within Cham's goal and 94 minutes on the clock was, that was, that was an amazing moment. Celtic had a huge support out there in the Stadio Olimpico as well. Uh, and I love travel. So to be able to, you know, I mean, Rome's a great city as well. So uh, that that was, that's a pretty cool one. Zenit was, Zenit was great. The home game, the, the atmosphere in the home game against Zenit for Celtic was, was incredible. But to be able to go over to, I'd never been to Russia before, St. Petersburg's just an incredible um, city. And just, it, I love places that take you out of a comfort zone, throw you in where you've just got to rely on other senses. Japan was like that as well. You, you can't read anything. You can't converse with many people. They can't understand you. You can't speak their language. It, it just, you, you then just have to kind of make the most of it and make the best of it, and you, and you do. So that actually gets away from your question a little bit. But I'd, I'd probably pick out those Roman, Roman St. Petersburg, I think, um, probably the, the two that, that really stick out for me. What would you say is your uh, favourite, as for like a piece of commentary after a goal or during a goal, what would you say is your favourite one that you've done personally? Um, I mean, it probably, it's, it probably, probably is the Encham one in, in Rome. Yeah. Uh, that's the one that a lot of Celtic fans um, message me about. Uh, because it, it's just a goal. That, I mean, it's the last kick of the ball. There's no comeback for Lazio. Um, so you can, you can kind of go all in on it. And I think I, I had quite a good line on the, the home game as well uh, when Julian scored. Uh, so that was the, that was the Glaswegian Coliseum, and the, and the one in in Rome was uh, like Rome conquered. It's very very simple. You, you don't need to overcomplicate these things. And and a lot of, a lot of times people ask me if you you think up these things before or you know, if you script them. I don't think you can script moments like that. But I would what I would say about the um, the home game. It sort of came to me after they'd equalised, and I, I thought it, it sort of developed over about twenty minutes. Anytime Chris Sutton started speaking, I thought I'm going to work on that we like because I'd gone <laughs> on, you know, like Celtic Park's like a like a coliseum tonight or something. And it, it just sort of developed, and then you just it's not quite rhyming, but Glaswegian and coliseum almost goes together. And but I was like, I can only say that if it's a last minute winner, you know, otherwise you can't really get away with it. Um, so it just sort of developed into that, but but these sorts of things, you um, I, I I like to try and play out a game in my head the night before. You know, like when you, you go to sleep the night before, you, you think think through all eventualities as much as as much as you're thinking, oh, this team's definitely going to win. Always prepare in your mind for something unlikely happening. 
Uh, not that you necessarily have a line prepared, but you have your mindset prepared for for, for just something that that shouldn't happen. And you you just got to you're never you're never going to get a big line every time. Um, but if you can if you can capture the moment, then uh, then you've done your job. So what's Chris Sutton like to deal with after a European Celtic win? <laughs> he's great. He, he's honestly. He, He's quite quiet, you know. Usually, um, we'll usually go for a meal uh, the night before the game, and then we'll we'll usually have have a bite to eat lunch. Just me and him would go for lunch before kickoff, uh, and then it's it's maybe the night after the game he might pop out for for a beer. Um, but no, he's he's great. He's he's just he's just a, a normal guy. Um, as as you kind of expect, most people are. Yeah, he's, he doesn't. There's there's not there's no ego there or anything. He's just he's easy easy to get on with. So last season, obviously the COVID nineteen situation curtailed last or the previous season. So there was no fans in the stadiums this season. Um, what was it like for you working in stadiums or the big stadiums with no fans? Uh, I mean, it's just bizarre. It, it feels like training games and players have said that to me as well, that you really need to, it took me a while to probably find a level uh, to, to commentate at because I listened to a few, I listened back to a few moments uh, from earlier on in the season. And I, I, I said to myself, like, I don't, I don't sound excited enough because you a don't have the, the crowd to, that tells the moment, the moment the crowd go up. That's what that's what you want to hear. You yeah. don't necessarily need a, a commentator saying anything over that. Um, but it also plays its part in, in in getting me up for the game. And I sort of like I don't sound excited enough for that moment. And then maybe sometimes you go too far. Maybe because and the problem with that is you're in an empty stadium. And a few people have said to me afterwards, I did um Rangers St Mirren in the in the the League Cup quarter final, and we were over the other side at, at the Smyce Stadium, and I came over and I saw one of my former colleagues, still a good friend, Laurie Ann uh, from Sky Sports News, and and she said, oh, oh, that was that was great. We got um ninety minutes of your commentary, and I said, oh, I didn't know they were like playing the game on on your screen. She was like, no, no, we could hear every single word that you were saying. And you're going, that means that the managers can hear, the directors can hear, the players can hear, the referees can hear everything that you're saying. And that's quite a that's quite a strange thing to to get used to. But the sooner we get, you know, obviously fans coming in for the Euros, but the sooner we get back to full stadiums, the better. Cause I I just don't like it. And I, I struggle to watch 90 minutes of football actually. Um without a crowd I, I just don't I don't enjoy the spectacle of it so much Do you think it has kind of ruined the big occasions and the big games like the cup finals and the old farms this season Yeah I mean I mean, maybe there's not many St Johnson fans would say that but, <laughs> um, but, but they were they were you know the, the greatest moment in their or moments in their club history and you know it's taken away from the, the fans day which is which is a real shame um, 
And I think it probably does affect the game. I did the first um, the first Old Firm game at Celtic Park, and that that was a game that it just seemed like it was a tactical battle. It didn't seem like there was any real passion from either, from either sets of players, and it just felt so strange for a Celtic Rangers game to to be like that. And Rangers Rangers had uh, they had Celtic tactically, so I always felt when it got to a game like that that they were that they were going to win. Um, and without without crowds behind it, I don't know. It, it really took something away. Um, and it, it's funny we're you know we're looking forward to to the Euros at the moment, and as we always do with a major tournament, you know, take take aside the fact that Scotland are are there. I I wonder, you know, when you you look back over the years and you, you replay all these fantastic moments and goals, these iconic moments. I wonder if they're even going to do that for this summer, because if you look behind a player that's celebrating, or you know, volleying one in the top corner, and in the background there's just seats, it it sort of gives that impression that nobody was interested. Yeah. You, you need some of the great moments or or because I, I look at it from a TV perspective as well and some of the great moments almost the goal scorer can be out of focus but you want to watch the reaction of the fans yeah. of that ball going in the net you know it's about to happen but seeing them and their reaction their faces light up their hands go up but you know it, will, it definitely takes away something so, as you said previously, you've been working for Ross County this season. How much did you enjoy working for the club? Uh, I mean, the club, um, I have no affinity to Ross County. And and now, I really I really do. I, I really, I, they were so welcoming. It was the first phone call over the summer that I got uh, was from Roy McGregor. Um, and I, I was, I don't know, midway into... July and really, or June maybe. No, start of July, and BT had just lost the contract. So you're really wondering, what's this? Am I going to have any any work this season? What's happening? Roy McGregor was the first to call, and I thought, oh, do I really want to do Ross County? That's a long drive every week. Um, is it high profile enough? That kind of thing. And then I thought. He really sold it, but at the same time, I thought, how many other chairmen in the league would would phone you up? And ever since then, everyone at the club, every time you go in, if you go into the club shop, they're so friendly. It's 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 maybe something that you'd expect from Highland Club, um, but they don't need to do it, and they're so, they're so accommodating. You know, if if it's an evening game. They're, they're straight on the phone. They say, do you, you know, do you want to stay in the guest house? And, you know, the guest house is run by the, the guy that runs the security operations at the stadium. So you get to know him. And it, and, and when Stuart Kettlewell was there, uh, they, they couldn't have been more welcoming. Every, everyone that you met, from John Hughes to Roy McGregor to, to the lady that brings you a tea, uh, just brilliant football club. I'll tell you a bit about my experience this season. Um, I've been working this season for Kelty Hearts. Um, I've done a bit of 
my my role was as just a social media volunteer, but because some of the commentators for the streams they were working, I filled in on the commentary. So I've been doing like the Twitter updates and things like that for Kelty, and I feel privileged that they've allowed me to come in when fans aren't allowed to be at the games. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, you must have had an interesting season then. With yeah, it, was good. it must have been quite it was good, good fun. Um, and I, I actually did an interview last, must have been last March or April, when Kelty and Brora should have had a playoff and didn't. Yeah. And so had Barry Ferguson on and um, and Stephen Mackay at, at Brora. Um, so I, yeah, I, I was I was really hoping that one of them you know got the opportunity to come into the league. So. Congratulations with that. Um, what was your question again? Uh, do you feel privileged that yes, you're allowed yeah. to? Oh, very much so. Particularly at the beginning, you know, when when football had been cancelled from. Well, I did the Leverkusen the, the Leverkusen Rangers game uh, on the Thursday night, yeah. and then football stopped. On I was prepping for Motherwell Aberdeen, I think, on the Friday, and football was cancelled. Uh, and we didn't have another game until I don't know what the next game. Oh, I, d- I did some games down down in England when they started back up, and I did a couple of games at St James's Park. And yeah, you you do feel you feel very very lucky to to be able to to be at the stadium um, and to be watching football firsthand because there's nothing quite like it. Uh, I never understand the, the argument when when people say that. Uh, oh, you know, you, you shouldn't shouldn't have games on TV because it affects the crowd. It, it doesn't. The, the, there's no evidence to back that up because fans would, every single time, 100% of the times, would prefer to be at the stadium than, than watching on TV. So, yeah, very, very lucky to have been across the country, um, down south in England, uh, and and at games, yes, yeah, I don't take that for granted. We'll move on to your passion for the Scottish national team. Um, as for the last major tournament in 1998, what are your memories from that tournament? Um, I, I really regret not having gone. That's uh, that's probably my main thing now. I, I was at school. I would have probably been in just working it out. I'd have been in third or fourth year at school. Um, so I, I I just watched them on the on the TV with with my family. So nothing nothing major, but I mean I, I was just I was so into it. That was probably at the the real height of of my teenage interest in in play, like everything was. Well, I was going to say everything was football. I was I would, I would have been playing rugby on the Saturday and football on the Sunday. Everything was sport every single night of the week was sport um but nothing is quite like a, a world cup um so i mean to think scotland opening that game against against brazil and remember the brazil players coming out linked hand in hand romario babeto rivaldo i mean just superstars and and we're going up against them we gave them a right good game that day as well um and how the game's Turned out it was just uh, yeah poor in the end. With the, we should have beaten Norway, and then the Morocco game was just a 
disaster. Terrible, terrible game. But to think then that it would be 23 years until the next one, I mean, you'd have never, you'd have never believed it. So I've heard you talking before about you've been to several countries watching Scotland. What were some of your favourites? Oh, I, I, I love it. I, like I say, I said a few times, I love travelling. So that's part of it. Part of it is the football and supporting Scotland and the other part is the travel. Um, let's see, the best ones. We had a great trip to Croatia a few years ago uh, when we won 1-0, Robert Snodgrass, and they were, I think they were number three in the world or something at the time. I mean, they were, they were a great team and we were on a hiding to nothing. I think we were already out the group pretty much. It was Gordon Strachan's maybe third game in charge, right. something like that. Um, so we we were there for a holiday. We we went down down to Dubrovnik. We flew into, and then we made our way up the coast to Zagreb. A few days here and there. Croatia is a great place. Really friendly people. Great food. Um, Oslo, Oslo was one that was fantastic. Just a, a really good bunch of boys. Um, terrible, terrible game. We lost four nil. I think Stephen, either Stephen or Gary Caldwell was sent off, um, and we just got got tanked that day. Um, <laughs> but good trip, and I think one of my favourites recently was Albania. Actually, um, you know, a, a country that wouldn't have been really on my radar for travelling to, uh, but uh, was it was great. The people were were fantastic we we flew into rome got the train down through like all the 1990s Serie A towns that you're like oh i remember them and we were like <laughs> naming players that had played for like lecce and stuff like that uh and then got the boat over to um to albania taxi up to the capital same taxi driver took us to the game that was like four hours away up at lake skoda <laughs> It was, it was, and then we went over to the border into Montenegro, um, hired a car, and met a mate of mine that owns a vineyard out there, and stayed with him, had a meal, and flew back via Sweden. All this, it was just planes, trains, automobiles. It was ridiculous, <laughs> but it was a, it was a great trip and to a place where tourists don't tend to go. I like to get off the beaten track a little bit. It doesn't. It was, it's great, great going to a place like Rome, but tourists go there all the time yeah. so um albania i thought that that was that was pretty cool what would you say is your favorite mo- moment supporting scotland uh paris james mcfadden <laughs> in paris uh, i think probably al- almost everyone would say that i think um yeah, that was that was right at the beginning of my away travels i think we'd been to Try to remember the order of the games. I, Lithuania was my first one. We won 2-0. Uh, and then I think the second one was Italy. We lost 2-0. Luca Toni got a double. Uh, and then and then we won in Paris, which, you know, against that French team was, was just ridiculous. So, yeah, I think I think that's that's got to be the one. If, if I'd been in Serbia, that would have been, that would have come close, but, but Paris was un, unbelievable. Would you ever like to commentate in a Scotland game or do you just like to keep your passion for the national team out of your career? I, I got asked this uh, a few months ago uh, for the Euros, you know, whether I'd want to. And I was very, very torn 
um, because if it was Scotland at a major tournament, you know, I've, I've, uh, you feel like you've put in the hard yards and, and, you know, you've enjoyed so many times across the country, then across the continent with your mates. And I was thinking, you know, I, I don't know if I would want to be there in a work capacity. I would almost want to, I would just want to be there in the stand. But obviously with COVID, it's not quite the same. Um, so I was offered the, the, the gig to do STV for the Euros. So I'm doing England, Scotland at Wembley and Scotland, Croatia at Hamden. Uh, so it became an easy decision. Um, so I'm, I'm going with my mates to the Czech Republic game. Uh, but, you know, we're not sitting beside each other. Right? It's just, yeah. it's not the same. So, so the chance to do Scotland, England at Wembley, that's that's pretty huge. And and then the Croatia game, hopefully there's there's something riding on it. Um, yeah, it, I think with it, with it also being a home, the group's a home group. Yeah. It takes away, I think, that, uh, you know, let's say if the next Euros are in Germany, you know, if, if the tournament was in Germany, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd want to be out there for, the, yeah. for two weeks and, you know, travelling around. We did that before for the uh, 2006 World Cup and we took my old beaten up Fiesta that had about 100,000 miles on the clock and we drove that out there and cut the ferry over to Amsterdam and then down through Germany uh, to all the way down to Munich and then the car got impounded Oh, it was it was just it was a great trip, really really good fun. Uh, so I think if that was to come up again, then I would I would I would probably take the fans' view, but uh, you, you never know. As for Scotland going into the Euros on Monday, what are your predictions going into the tournament? I, I mean, I, I like our team. I think I think we've got as as good a chance uh, as we could have done over the last. 23 years with any of the teams um, I think the first game is is probably the key which because I think it's our best chance of getting a win um, I, I don't really like that being the first game though because I can see us being a bit conservative and going well a point's a good start but then you have to think where are your other points coming from uh, Wembley will be it'll be tough but you never know you just you just never know. Like I said, when you're preparing for games, prepare for every eventuality um, because football can do that to you. Otherwise, you know, if it was if it was predictable, it wouldn't be interesting, and we'd all be betting millionaires. And, and I'm certainly not that. So, um, like I say, if we can get it down to the last game uh, to get through, I, th- I don't like the format of 24 teams. I don't think it works. Because you know you've got you you play that many group games to only send eight teams home yeah. to get to the last sixteen, and then you've got you know the best place third teams. I just it doesn't sit very well. I don't yeah. think it doesn't take into account you could be in a real horror group, um, or you get teams like Portugal who went on to win it last time and then. Was it that they, they didn't win a game and something like that through 90 minutes or yeah. some ridiculous stat? And they weren't even scoring goals. So, you know, I think they got through their group by drawing the, the three group games. And yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't really be possible. So, um, yeah, we've made ourselves hard to beat, which we've, it's something that we always had in the past. 
and something probably the main thing that's been lacking in our teams in the last 20 years and Steve Clark's got that he had that with his Killy team you know he, he gave Brendan Rodgers really hard time he used to always beat Rangers when Rangers <laughs> had to win at Rugby Park so his record in getting his team up for the big occasions was incredible so he's taken that into his Scotland team uh, and I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give us every chance. I mean, I, it's trying to. I've got holiday booked the week after, <laughs> and I was and then I was like, well, so if Scotland get through, and it's on STV, then then I won't be able to to go on holiday. But then I was trying to work work out the path, and so it's like, oh, if they come third, then they'd face the group winners from this, and then I was going, well, yeah, you know, why are you saying third? You know, why can't why can't they finish second? Yeah, I mean, first might be a little bit out of our, <laughs> out of our abilities, but yeah, you never know. Yeah, give it, give it a shot, and it's it's just great to be there. You know, every every two summers we're we're looking forward to a, a major tournament because it's exciting. Yeah, but this year is so so different. This is my first one as an adult that Scotland are in that you can look forward to. It's it's great. It's so exciting. You can feel it. Like that's all my mates are texting me about. That's all that people are talking about in the street is is the Euros. It's it's fantastic. So just as a final segment for the podcast, I want to know your predictions for the tournament overall. So we've got the winners, the runners up, the dark horses of the tournament, player of the tournament, and then top goal scorer. So first of all, who do you think is going to win the Euros? I uh I think Belgium. I like Belgium. I know. I know that they um, they're always the sort of the nearly team, or you know, has this generation passed by. I think they've just got so much strength everywhere. Um, so yeah, yeah, go for Belgium for the winners. Um, runners up. I, I I quite like the look of Italy under Mancini, and they've they've got this front three uh, that. That looks pretty tidy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I could see them do well. I'm not. I mean, I've not worked out the path of the tournament. Think yeah. whether they. I mean, they might meet in the second round. Who knows? But they were. They're probably the two that I think would stick out uh, for me. But I mean, there's. I think. I think more than ever, there's strong teams. Yeah. Like really strong teams. You know, people seem to be discounting like Germany and Spain. Even the ne- the Netherlands as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Portugal. Nobody's talking about Portugal. Yeah. You know, reigning champions. There's there's a lot of good teams in Europe at the moment, uh, and uh, you know, then I think I think probably the two favourites are England and France. So yeah. you, know, you, you definitely wouldn't rule them out either of them. So yeah, so I, I mean, I've I plucked two, two from probably eight yeah. that can maybe win it, seven or eight, and that. I mean, how often do you go into a tournament where seven or eight teams you think could win it? Not very often. Uh, so, no, no. Um, so, what was next? Dark horses. It's a tricky one. It's, I think it's going to be very difficult for a dark horse to emerge because there are so many good teams. Yeah. Um, I've, seen, I've seen. To be honest, it's it's one where I've not really. Not really looked into it. I've heard a lot of people say Turkey. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. As a dark horse. Um, 
So I think even like, Denmark as well. Denmark have got a yeah, decent opportunity. That's, that's a good shout. That's yeah. a good shout. Scandinavian teams always perform well. Yeah. They've got really good attitude. They seem to hold their nerve in the big moments. Um Oh, let's go Scotland as our dark horse. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you say would you be your player of the tournament for a prediction? A player of the tournament. I'll go. I'll go De Bruyne because I've gone. I've gone with with Belgium to win it. So I think Kevin De Bruyne. It's, it's just he's he's got everything. He's outstanding. Yeah. Um, I think I think Phil Foden will be up there. He's he's one that I fear in the England team. I think Foden's outstanding. Did you see um, his haircut? <laughs> I've 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 not seen it. I've heard of it. I've heard about it. Um, yeah, but it seems a little bit out of character. He seems quite um, like down to earth and just gets on with things. But yeah. obviously, he's gone for a bit of the limelight this time. Um, top scorer, I'll go Lukaku. Keep it in the Belgian camp. Uh, just love him. I, I think he's. I, I I like a big big powerful number nine. You know, I always liked you know like Zlatan and Luca Tony, guys like that that were I mean Lewandowski, he could be top scorer. You know, they're just these battering rams but are incredible talents as yeah. well. Lukaku used to get he used to get slated in England for his first touch. <laughs> he's got an immaculate first his all round game is is outstanding. Yeah. You know, if there's a ball in the box to be hit or to be headed, he's he's got his name all over it. So yeah, go with him. That's brilliant, Rory. Thank you for coming on tonight. Yeah, brilliant. It's good to chat to you, Logan. This has been the LB View podcast. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Cheers, guys. <laughs>